Father, I want so much for you to just come and invade this time. Lord, I've written down things that I think you want me to say, but if you don't want me to say them, please stop me from saying them. And if there are things that you desire me to say, I pray that you would give those words. And Lord, I just pray that you would ultimately, Lord, this isn't about me. This isn't about any of us. This is about what you can do in our hearts. And so I just pray that you would open up our hearts to hear from you. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just invade our time here. Lord, that we would hear from you. Lord, would you open up our hearts? Would you help us to receive everything that you have for us in a way that only you can? (laughs) Oh, Father, use this time for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, uh, we are finishing up with uh, our quick look at some of the the prayers of Paul in the book of Ephesians. Uh, This is your first morning with us. Welcome. Uh, So glad that you're here. Just to kind of give you a little bit of background, we've spent the last two weeks uh, studying the chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians, which is really just a letter that Paul wrote to a, that was circulated amongst a group of, of churches in this region, and it's called the, the Book of Ephesians. And we've been looking at this book, and specifically uh, the prayers of Paul within this book, and we've been looking at chapter 1 for the first two weeks, and then this week we're finishing up this series by looking at chapter 3. Uh, if you're wondering, well, why only three weeks. Why would you only spend three weeks on this? There's a few reasons for that. Um, there is more than we could, we could even think about covering in this, this, this book, so I get that, that, um, that thought, but th- there's a couple reasons. First, this, is a, this mini-series is a part of what we call Oasis. Uh, it's something that we have done uh, kind of at the beginning of a few other years as well, where we just take a few weeks to remix our life groups a bit, and, and dig into uh, discussion centered around the weekly teaching. We, we really want to, uh, to, to have an opportunity for people to, to maybe be in a group with someone that they haven't been in a group uh, with before. And so we kind of remix the groups a little bit, and we have this time of discussion over the weekly teaching. Um, but one of the reasons that we only spend three weeks in it, or we're only spending three weeks in it right now, is because we have some longer life groups that are going to be started uh, in the next couple of weeks. And so we want to give everyone an opportunity to be a part of those groups. We believe that following Jesus is meant to be done alongside of others. And, and, and we, that we grow and that we are shaped in unique ways within community. And so we see the vehicle of small groups, or as we call them here, life groups, as a place where we have this tremendous opportunity to grow alongside of each other. And so that's one reason we only take a few weeks for this. Second reason, uh, specifically this year, uh, next week is our annual Mission Sunday. 
And uh, so this is a, a time where we have an opportunity to hear from or about some of the many missionaries that we help to support here at Grace Spring. And we have this wonderful opportunity to renew our commitment to partner with them in taking the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. That is one of the core uh, things that we believe here is that we are called to be a part of missions and evangelism. You know, we, we see missions and evangelism as core to who we are, and, and community is core to who we are, our ministry to children is as core to who we are, for spiritual formation and worship, those are all core to who we are. And so uh, next week we'll spend a lot of focus on uh, world missions, and I'm excited because Naomi Jensen, who is the founder of Safe Refuge International, uh, she's going to be speaking uh, next week. Um, and, uh, and sharing with us. And also, uh, Cindy Blood from Wycliffe Bible Transla- Translators is going to be back with us. Um, and a number of our o- other local missionaries are going to be here as well, telling us about what they're doing and, and how God is working through them to bring His good news to the world. And so I hope that you're not only here for the service next week, but also that you stick around for the program and the lunch afterwards. Um, and so those are two reasons that we've just kind of condensed this down to three weeks, all right? But absolutely great reasons, I think. This scripture that we're in this morning, like I said, is out of the book of Ephesians. It's from Ephesians 3, and it's the second section of this prayer of, of intercession or praying for uh, something that he wants for the Ephesian believers that Paul dips into here. Bruce read it a little bit earlier, but starting in verse 16, he says this, I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Where did I? I lost myself. Okay, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. John Stott once wrote that one of the best ways to discover a Christian's chief anxieties and ambitions is to study the content of their prayers and the intensity with which they pray them. He says, we all pray about the things that concern us and are evidently not concerned about the matters that we don't include in our prayers. Now I have to admit that that statement, in light of the prayers that we've been looking at from Paul, has been a little bit challenging to me to think through. Because of the example that I see of Paul's prayers here in Ephesians. See, what Paul displays within chapter 1 and also here in chapter 3, which we're looking at this morning, is what he sees of primary importance for those he's writing to. They are uh, his chief ambitions or anxieties, if we wanted to use that language for, uh, from John Stott. And compared to what we tend to pray for, these are interesting prayers in a lot of ways. And Paul doesn't pray for anything about the circumstances of the people he's praying for. He doesn't pray for their health. He doesn't pray for their financial or their work concerns. Now, hear me on this. There's nothing wrong with praying for that. There's nothing wrong. We should be praying for circumstances, and we should be praying for all of those things. In fact, Paul himself 
uh, in chapter 6 of this letter, he goes on and he instructs the Ephesians to pray, in verse 18, pray in the Spirit on all, kinds of occasion, on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, he says, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. So I don't believe that this example of prayer that we see within chapter 1 and chapter 3 is meant to be the only way or the only thing that we should be praying for. But I do believe that this gives us a glimpse of what Paul considers to be of utmost importance. You know, this is why he starts the letter here. This is why the, the, the beginning of this letter you know, it begins with this doxology of the goodness and, the, and, and how great God is. And then, then he launches into this prayer for them and then talks more about the goodness of God and, and, and instructs a little bit and then comes right back to the same thing. It is so important to Paul for the Ephesians to get this. And as we look at this prayer from Paul, I would say that there's really one overarching theme that is expressed here. The main intent of Paul's prayer is clear. He's praying for an empowering work of the Holy Spirit to take place in the lives of the Ephesians. Everything else in the wording of this prayer it just helps to explain and point to what comes as a result of that empowering. Paul wants the power of God's Holy Spirit to do a transformative work within the hearts and the lives of the Ephesians. And so he prayed that the Ephesian believers would be connected to God in such a way, in such a powerful way, that they come to know and experience the fullness of Christ's presence and love. Paul knows that if this happens, everything else will fall in place. That if this takes place, the rest is it's easy. You know, it's just gonna, it's, it'll follow. But this is where it starts. And so this morning, I wanted us to take a little bit of our time to look at this prayer and to see what we can learn from it in our lives. And then we're actually going to have a time uh, for digging into this prayer and, and, and some of that from chapter one as well at the end of the service. Now, as I said earlier, there's one overarching theme to this prayer here in chapter 3. And, be, and, and perhaps that's because really this, you know, this whole sentence here, this whole prayer, is, it's one long sentence. Uh, and we see this in chapter 1 as well. This is just one long, complex sentence. And what we do is we've taken it and put in verses and, and, and kind of broken it up a little bit so we can get a handle on it. So we've put the period in the middle of these sentences and we've made them sentences rather than one long sentence. We put you know, commas in there. We put verses in there to break it up a little bit. But in the original, it is one long sentence. And Paul is praying in this sentence for an empowering of the Holy Spirit within the lives of the Ephesians, that God would do a transformative work in their lives. And within this overarching theme, there are really two sections, since we've gone ahead and broken it up anyway, there are two sections that I want to break it apart into this morning, or two ways that we might learn to pray from this based on what we see here from Paul. And the first is this. Paul prays in this passage for God's power to bring, apart, or to bring about an inner change. Read uh, verses 16 and 17 with me. He says, I pray that out of His glorious riches... 
He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So what is Paul praying for here? Well, Paul is praying that something will happen inside of the followers of Christ. He's writing this letter to the believers in Ephesus, and he's saying, I want this to happen inside of you. He uses the term inner being and hearts, which are basically the control center uh, of, from which we comprehend life and where our choices are made. It is the, the inner part. And we talked a little bit about this last week, and we, we said that this you know, involves the intellect, and it involves the will, and it involves our emotions. Okay? So he's, he's pointed to this inner place, this inner thing where we comprehend life and make our choices. And notice what Paul prays for here. He prays that they would be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. Now, there are two words that Paul could have used when he says dwell in verse 17. One would have pointed to, uh, would point to kind of taking a visit as a guest somewhere. It's like when you go to a hotel. You know, you don't unpack your suitcase or you, you, you just barely unpack it. Sometimes maybe you bring your own pillow. You're just there for a few days. You're just dwelling there for a few days. Maybe you're staying at a friend's house. You're just dwelling there for a few days. Now the other word that Paul could have used is one which points to something more permanent. That of taking up residence. Where you, where you settle down. And that is exactly the word that Paul uses here. And by using this word, what Paul is essentially praying for is that their inner beings, their hearts, would be strengthened in a way that Christ is not simply considered a house guest, but that He dwells fully. He is a resident with all that that entails. He makes it his home and if Christ lives at the very center of our beings it's going to mean that there's transformation that happens we, we won't be the same now we do need to ask a question here we, we, we know uh, through scripture that as we become believers as we begin following Jesus as we become Christians that that Jesus dwells within us you know that he 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 comes and makes His home within us as believers. We become a temple of the Holy Spirit. So why is Paul praying here for something to happen to the Ephesian believers that's already happened? Right? Because Jesus already lives within. Here's a picture. Uh, there was a commentator in the 1800s that said dwelling is kind of a, uh, something that, that comes in degrees. You know, that it happens a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And here's a picture that I think might, might help. Aaron and I, we, um, we bought our house in 2006. And we, when we got it, we, we quickly realized after we were over that whole, it's our first home kind of feeling, you know, we realized, oh man, this place needs some work. <laughs> uh, it was livable, but honestly, the paint color was awful in a few of the rooms. 
Uh, it had nasty carpet in the master bedroom. It had popcorn ceilings. Um, it, it, the AC was 25 years old. The kitchen was, you know, was, it was tiny. I mean, other than that, it was great. But we moved in, and we, we started doing some things. We put in new carpet, and, and we, we started cleaning up, and we had help with some of the painting. But there were still a number of projects that we needed to tackle. Well, over the years, some of those projects, bit by bit, have been taken care of. We, we got a new AC. We had the popcorn ceiling scraped off and redone. You know, we changed the landscaping. We, we put art on, on, on the walls. And finally, last year, we had the kitchen and the bathrooms and the floors redone. After living there for 13 years, our house is finally feeling a little bit more like it's our home, you know? It's starting to, to reflect more and more of who we are, who those that are living in this home truly are. It's, it's reflecting our style and our tastes a little bit more than it did when we first moved in. And that process, I think, is a, is, is a great picture of what Paul is praying for here. See, when Christ moves in and takes up residence within us, He finds the nasty carpet. And He finds the ugly paint. And He finds the, 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 the old AC and the, the popcorn ceiling. I'm so sorry if anybody loves popcorn ceilings. I just, they are... Please pray for me that I will be... But Christ finds those things, Okay? He find, I, don't think, I don't think Jesus likes popcorn ceilings either. So He loves you if you have them, okay? But He doesn't like them, okay? But He finds these things. Oh my gosh, somebody just pointed up. Oh. Like I said, please pray for me. I know a guy who can do this. Jesus, he moves in and he begins cleaning up and he begins repairing and he begins renovating. You know, we open ourselves up to him and he starts expanding things out and he takes a wall out here and he, and he, you know, he puts new things in over here. And so over time, our inner being, our hearts begin to reflect more and more who it is that lives there. Who it is that's taken up residence in our lives. And that's what Paul is praying. He's saying, that's what I want for your lives. I want your lives to, to reflect who's really dwelling there because I want Him to dwell there in the fullness of what He desires to dwell in your life. I want Him to come in and I want Him to break things down that don't need to be there and to set things up that do need to be there and to, to, to tear away all the old junk and make room for, for, for the new things that He wants to do in your life. That's what He's praying for, that our inner beings and hearts will become dwelling places that reflect the character of Christ. Now here's the thing. It is so important for us to rem remember that of, of how this happens. It's not as a result of our effort and strength. You know? Paul prays in, in verse 16 that it's out of His glorious riches and through His Spirit, this would happen. Our house didn't renovate itself. 
The ones that were living inside did the work. And that's what Paul is praying here. That the strengthening and transformation in the very depths of their being would be done by the one who's taken up residence there and, and his power would come from within them. It comes from the glorious riches, he says, of Christ that are applied to their lives through the, the Spirit. And so that's the first part of Paul's prayer here. And if you and I want to take a lesson from, from this to use within our daily lives, it might be that we would pray by God's power that we would be changed or renovated within, that we would be open to that renovation, that we would be open to that change within. The Holy Spirit would do a transformative work at the very core of who we are. And I would say this, if you're not a follower of Christ right now, like that would, that's a great place to begin of saying, God, I want you to just come and take up residence. I want you to move in. Like, I know that there's ugly carpet here. I know that there's stuff that needs to be torn down. But I want you to come in, and we'll deal with that. And I know you'll deal with that. And so that if that's you, welcome. We're so glad you're here. And we want you to, to, to have that. But maybe Christ has been living within you for a long time. But the carpet's still there. The walls that need to be torn down are still there. Well, maybe now's the time to say, go ahead, God. Do your work. I'm opening myself up to that. So that's the first thing that we see from Paul. The second way that we might pray, or the second thing that we see Paul pray for here, is he prays for power to grasp the love of Jesus. Paul prays that God would give them power to grasp the limitless love of of Jesus. He writes in verses 17 and uh, to 19, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now this request, this petition, is kind of interesting. First off, Paul obviously points to how the believers are rooted and established in love. And, and that picture kind of reinforces the whole idea of connection that Paul has just talked about with you know, Christ dwelling within. You know? But then Paul launches into this interesting language to convey the rest of what he is saying. He says, I'm praying for you who are rooted and established in love, to have power, and notice again, he says this isn't an individual deal. Rather, it is along with all of God's people. We talked about this a little bit last week, how this is not, following Jesus isn't just something I can do on my own without anybody else being involved. That's, that, that's just not how it works. It's how we want it to work sometimes because that would be a little bit easier if we didn't have to deal with the fact that this person gets on my nerves or this person you know, is a reason that I need that wall taken out in my heart. You know? like, that would be so much easier for us. But that's not, that's not following Jesus. That's our own kind of thing. That's our own version of Christianity and that's not what it is. And so Paul is saying here, 
along with all God's people. You know, this is something I'm praying for all of you. I'm not just praying this for, you know, for, for, for uh, Jenny and, 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 and for, for, for Tom over here. I'm praying this for all of you. I want all of you to get it. And then he goes on, I want you through Christ to have the power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is. And now this is seemingly hyperbolic language that he is using here to talk about the immensity of God's love. But I love what John Stott, again, he said about this. He says, it seems to me legitimate to say that the love of Christ is broad enough to encompass all mankind. It's long enough to last for eternity. It is deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner. And it is high enough to exalt him to heaven. <laughs> you know, with that reason, perhaps it's not hyperbolic after all. And I think Paul would agree. See, Paul, of anyone, he knew how deep and wide and long and high the love of Christ was. He, he, he got how huge of a thing it was that he was praying for them to grasp hold of. And this is language from someone who had been surprised and overwhelmed by Christ's love, who had been brought to his knees by Christ's power. And over and over again, he had seen this in his life. He gets how huge of a thing this is. And he also sees that there, the only way that there can be this grasping of this love, this grasping of, of His presence, is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I would say that that is communicated very well through this next line as he seemingly uses an oxymoron here as well. He says, I'm praying for you to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And what Paul is saying here when he prays for them to know is that they would understand at this deep level, not necessarily this head knowledge, although there's definitely some of that included, but, but rather Paul is, is pointing to something so much deeper. It's something that you can't just get up here. Philippians 4, um, if you know the, the text, Paul says to the church in Philippi, he says, don't be anxious about anything. Rather, pray to God. Thankfully, bring your requests to God. And the peace of God, and what does he say? Which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He says there's a deeper thing at work. And it's something that you're not going to completely understand up here. Because it's so much bigger than that. It's something that our finite minds can't get a hold of. It is peace in the midst of suffering that can't be explained apart from God. It is in the face of rejection and understanding of His love that overwhelms beyond belief. It's something so much deeper. And Paul prays that the Ephesians would grasp, really grasp, the unlimited scope of Christ's love for us. You know, I think most of us Christians, and maybe most people in general would say that we, we, um, we kind of have an understanding of God's love. You know, we, we, we get this at some level. We, 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 can, we sing these songs, you know, about His love for us. If you're a follower of Jesus, you, you know, you, maybe you acknowledge His love for you. But I think that honestly at some level, 
Some of us don't get it. You know, some of us have this picture of a God who's perpetually disappointed with us. You know, that he's, he's standing in heaven pointing his accusing finger at you. Telling you about all the things that you've done wrong. That is not the picture that the Gospels paint for us. That is not the picture of, of, of this God that, that, that Paul is pointing to. You know? You know we, but, but some of us, we just have this picture in our mind. And, and, and that's the, the image of God that we have. And so we try to obey God, but, but for a lot of us, the motivation is out of obligation. You know, out of this felt need to, to, to do this thing, uh, rather than as a response to that beautiful, extravagant love of God. That's a completely different deal. But this is Paul's prayer for us. Not just that we would acknowledge Christ's love and know about it up here, but that we would truly grasp it at a deeper level, that it would infiltrate who we are and how we live and how we love. And if that happens, if we really get it and we really grasp it, this is what he says in verse 19, so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You know, in other words, if we're to grow into the people that we're meant to be, to open ourselves up fully to the presence working in and through us, to allow the renovation to be done to its fullest potential, it begins with grasping, really grasping Christ's love so that it becomes real to us. As real to, the, uh, to us as the person that's next to us. As, as real to us as, as, as the thing we're sitting on or, or touching. Is, is God's love that real to you? Like if you reach out and touch the person that's next to you or you reach out and touch something that, 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 that doesn't give when you put your finger on it, is God's love that real to you? Or is it just something that, yeah, maybe Paul so wants the Ephesians and, 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 and us to grasp this. And we didn't look at this earlier, but um, even the posture that Paul uses in, in prayer signifies how much he desires for them to get this. He says at the beginning of this, you know, that, 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 that he's, he, he's on his knees praying for this. Now, the posture, that posture of prayer wasn't common. They a lot of the, the Jewish uh, people at that time, they stood for prayer. And so Paul is saying, you know, I'm in this position of humility. I'm laying my face on the ground. I'm, I'm begging for God to do this to you. I'm begging for God to do this work. I want this so bad for you that I'm down on my face crying out, God, would you, would you do this work in them? wanted the Ephesian believers and, 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 and God wants all of us ultimately to have this power, power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ truly is. To know this love that surpasses knowledge so that we might be filled to the measure of all the fill, fullness of God. Let me ask you, is that your experience with God? 
because I've been asking myself that a lot this week. Over and over again, I've asked myself, is that what I see in my life? And then I've had to back up and go, well, let me ask this. Is that what I'm praying for in my life? Is that my prayer? Is that my prayer for me? Is that my prayer for you? And if I'm just being honest, no. Not like it needs to be. And so it's, it's been brought to my mind again and again and again how this needs to be what I'm praying for each one of you. And this what is what needs to be what we're praying for each other. And this needs to be what I'm asking for my kids and for my wife and for myself, that God would do this work. Because if this happens in my life, <laughs> everything else follows. Now again, this isn't something that we can manufacture or do ourselves. This is a gift from God. It's something that God has to give us, but we can ask Him for it. We can pray for it. And here's the thing. You know, like I said earlier, we're finishing up this series on prayer. We've talked a lot about prayer. You know, we've talked a, a lot about how Paul prays. But I don't want I don't want to just talk about prayer. I don't want us to be a church that just talks about prayer. That doesn't make sense to me. I'm sure you guys have better things to do than to come on Sunday morning for something that doesn't matter. I want to be a praying church. I want to be a church that prays for one another. I want to see God's power working within our hearts and working within our lives. And, and so this morning, uh, rather than leave off this series right here, I want us to spend some time in prayer together as a church.